0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 32. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter untwisting screw tape's hellish logic in forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And for the first recording of the new year for myself and potentially, Andrew, you are graced with the presence of Andrew and myself.
1: Oh, what a joy to be back with you. I am I on my Christmas list, and I got it. I've got my Pints with Jack t-shirt. And then in the other room, I just got a, I got a frame yesterday, David and Matt for Christmas, Um. Had this this uh, this pen and ink drawing of C.S. Lewis done for me, beautiful eight by eight, and I just got it framed uh, yesterday, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, we're relishing the Christmas gifts. Oh well, I'm glad
0: it turned out well. And Andrew upgraded our Scotch single malt <laughs>
1: a, a tasting notes book to the is that the seventh edition? The seventh and latest edition. So uh, Michael oh. Jackson was the guy who did it, um, and then he passed away after the sixth. Uh, which is why I had sent you all the six, but then I found out there's a seventh edition, and that's uh, been updated by Dominic Rosgrow and Gavin D. Smith. So that's the fully revised edition, and here it is.
0: So get ready for some good tasting notes,
1: guys. Absolutely.
0: Well, for the song of the week, <laughs> David, after my own heart, went to Let's Go to the Mall by Robin Sparkles. First, Andrew, do you know what that's referring to? I don't know at all. I'm yes. too old for that. I, I I actually shouldn't celebrate in knowing this. That is from the TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, it's okay. It's not a famous song. It's not some musician. It's one of the characters' actual song in okay. the show.
1: okay. All right. Yeah. You know, that's one of the ones that I haven't haven't binge watched yet. Uh, we've done a fair bit of binge watching and uh, I'm in the middle of Better Call Saul right now, but, um, but haven't done How I Met Your Mother yet.
0: Well, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not actually sure why David chose that song, to be honest, knowing that this is about church shopping. and Because
1: you're being a connoisseur. You're, cho- you're shopping around. You're oh. going to the mall of religious opportunity.
0: Well done, well done, <laughs> David. As he re- as he listens to this, will be pleased that you were able to save that. Yeah, there we go.
1: Were there some alternate titles too?
0: I see he wrote uh, "A Change Will Do You Good" by Show
1: Crow. I do not know what that is. I don't either. But then uh, "Round Round Get Around" I get around from the Beach Boys. That was that one too. So, yep. And I hear that we've got lots of new titles coming up soon. So, yeah. What is our quote of the week? Yeah, directly
0: from the letter. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Oh, man.
1: That sounds like trouble. And that, that sounds does.
0: very American to me. And we're going to have fun with this, knowing, uh, Andrew, that. Uh, You coming from the pastor background and being a pastor, this is going to be fantastic to be able to get your thoughts. I'm excited for this letter.
1: Oh, man. Plus, I'm an episcopapto I've been everything, so (laughs) (laughs) I I got some experience with all of this, so let's see if we can bring it to bear.
0: Yes, but first, we have to have our drink of the week. We do indeed. And I myself am continuing the Advent calendar, and I think I'm only number six out of 24, so I have a wide range coming in this year. Mine's a Singleton of Dufton. 12-year age, never had it before. What are you drinking?
1: Um, I am drinking, thanks to you still. Um, <laughs> this is when you know you've been gone from home too long. Uh, I'm missing my Lagavulin 16, which is back in Alexandria. We're finishing up our last week and a half here in Florida before we head back north. Uh, and so I am drinking the Ellish 14 that you gave me. I love it. And mine on the nose, it describes it sweets with a malty smell, and I totally get that. Mine is a delightfully complex, spicy, and perfumed nose. I get a little acetone too. Some floral mm. and malty hints. Love myself a malty scotch.
0: All right. Should we try My it? My sweetness here. is definitely coming from an, an app or a uh, fruity flavor. Oh, that is good. Mm. That is above average from what I've had. <laughs> I will definitely say so. So I like malty. This reminds me of. The Macallan, Mm -hmm. but it's slightly, slightly more peaty. Okay. Not much at all, which I I really am enjoying that.
1: Mm. This one, um, multi-layered palette, slight citrus hints, which I get, a honey background. It actually has a big punch too, which isn't described here. A little peat and delicious spices in the background um, and a honey finish with a taste of brine. So, boy, I like this. I'm going to take another sip before I before I throw in the water because it's got a nice, big, punchy flavor.
0: Mm. As you're doing that, I would definitely say after sipping it, it's got the fruit that I mentioned. The maltiness definitely comes out. What I love is the finish, and this is where that, that slight peatiness comes in. It's warm. Okay. And so medium to long. I like medium to long. Yep. I like warm. And I definitely get all of that. It's very, it's in the camp. It's close to the calendar 12, honestly.
1: Oh, wow. That's good. Well, that's a that's a blessing in the calendar if you're going to expand your range.
0: Yes, one of my favorite. I would put it in my top three so far. I haven't been keeping a running list because we will just do a different one every week. But this would be in my top 10%. Oh,
1: that's great. Well, I'm loving this Klein-Ellish too. Um, I also had a malt experience, although it wasn't scotch. Um, I got a chance to hang out with Dale. From uh, Davenant Institute, from the Pilgr- Pilgrim Faith uh, podcast, Dale Stanberg, uh, we met in the middle up in Tampa, and we went to a pub that had cask drawn Fuller's London Pride Ale, which is one of my very top favorites. So, oh yeah, real malty, and I think it was at the end of the cask because you could see little bits of yeast floating around in the bottom of your glass. That's when you know. It's fresh, you know, kind of cool room temperature. That was a great beer. I'm jealous. Yeah. Well, who are we toasting today? We are toasting
0: Jim Owens. So we raise a glass right now. Mm -hmm. Jim, may your disposition be open to both seeking and receiving truth as it is, and may the truth transform you from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Oh, you know what? The water rounds it out. It, it, It takes a little bit of the fang out of the finish. Um, but it just makes it so round- so much rounder in the mouth, oh, oh, that was good. So what were you saying? Well, I chose that toast because in this
0: letter, what we're going to see is if you become a church kind of a church shopper, sometimes it can be tempting to be in a state where you are a critic of teaching rather than in an open disposition to teaching. Mm. We want to go into receiving. Of course, you want to be critic of truth, and you want to make sure you're discerning that what's being taught is truth, but in a way that it's important to be open to receiving it and then allowing it to transform you.
1: You know, that's really important. You know, like Almost 20 years later, uh, Lewis wrote an Experiment and Criticism, and he makes this really crucial uh, distinction about how we approach literature. And so often we approach literature or art or whatever to use it when we should be approaching it to receive it, right? Ooh. And that's where it comes in where he says, I must see with other eyes, my own eyes are not enough for me. Um, And it's not an exact Lewis quote, but but I think about it in terms of opening a book is allowing somebody who's long dead usually to whisper in our ears and to tell us what their century was like, right? But if I'm going to art to get what I want out of it, and being a a taster, right? A connoisseur, rather than surrendering myself to the art and diving in, and then seeing what the author gives me. And that's something you learn from Arthur Greaves, right? Um, Arthur taught him to not just enjoy landscape when the day was lovely, but to enjoy outsides, even when it was raining, and receive what nature had to offer, rather than going to seek um, uh, to, to seek what he wanted, and that kind of surrender to a work of literature, uh, I think carries over spiritually and in a lot of other circumstances too. That's
0: going to be very fitting. With I have an interview. Have you heard of a gentleman named Chris Armstrong?
1: Yeah, I, I know Chris.
0: Yeah. So I have, I'm going to be interviewing him next week and he talks about Lewis and the medieval church and how Lewis right. was very steeped in medieval, medieval literature and took a lot of his practices from the medieval church. And he mentions that exact same point. Sometimes you can become a historian, study that stuff just for the sake of critiquing it and talking all about it, but you never actually think to yourself, well, what could I actually learn from this? How could this transform me? What practices could I implement in my life? It's just more about being the critic.
1: Well, and the medieval and even earlier church, you know, actually the medieval church kind of starts at the beginning of organized Christianity. It starts around 500 Mm -hmm. or so. Um, But you're living in a parish. You're not mobile. You don't have a, you know, a a scooter you can ride around to the different villages. You have that church. And so the question is not, do I like this church, but what can I make of what's going on inside? Because I don't have any other options. And Mm -hmm. that's not a bad model to kind of go and say, okay, this is my church. What am I going to make from it? How can I receive whatever God might have to say to me instead of, you know, pulling out your phone while you're in church going, man, I wonder who else is preaching today or next week. And I wonder which (laughs) sermon I might like better. Yes. Yeah, well, give give Chris my, my fond regards. I remember uh, having a meal with him in Wheaton the last time I was there, and uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to hearing what you do with him.
0: I will. I definitely will. I'm looking forward to it, too. Well, before we jump in, the chapter summary, which... Sorry if it is somewhat disappointing, guys. David writes these constantly. And I opened it and there wasn't one in here. And I was like, oh boy. And this and I noticed this about 10 minutes before recording. So this is Matt's effort at a chapter summary. Screw tape begins with frustration for finding out the patient has not only faithfully attended church, but one specific church. But never fear, screw tape. If we can't cure him of going, says the next best thing is to create a church connoisseur. On the one hand, this creates the opportunity for church to become a type of club. On the other hand, it also turns him into a critic and prevents him from being receptive to God's truth. Screwtape then analyzes some local prospects. The first church, the pastor has watered down Christianity significantly. The second church, the pastor, due to inner negativity, is a constant contrarian, and he even says dishonest. But most importantly, both churches are party churches. Finally, Screwtape suggests, when he's at church, make him major in the minors. Make him frustrated at who calls it Mass or Holy Communion. Yet, neither has much knowledge on the difference between the two. There's my attempt at the chapter summary written in Real time, more or less. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's great. And, and, of course, the fundamental shift is Screwtape wants us to go to church thinking about ourselves, not about God, right? He wants us to pay attention to what's going on in the church, not seeing through um, what happens in the church and seeing to the God behind it. And that's a point he makes in Letters to Malcolm. Lewis says, give me any kind of service so long as it stays put. You know, I want to be able to anticipate what's coming so that I can forget who's reading or who's singing or even what words are coming so that I can pray to the silent reality behind those words, behind those Mm -hmm. acts, behind that liturgy. And so what we want from church ultimately is God. But so often, like pulling out our phones, what we're looking for is the narcissist mirror of ourselves. Right? Does my church more reflect my desire for myself or my desire to abandon myself, to deny myself, to take up my cross and, uh, and to see Him? And you, know, we have in, in the pulpit where I preach at, at Church of the Redeemer in Sarasota, uh, it says, "Sir, I w- we would see Jesus." right? And so that transparency, I think, is so crucial. And I, I
0: wrestle with the balance of that, because that also can carry into your prayer life with spiritual practices. So there can be certain prayers, particularly in in the Catholic faith, and I would assume it's similar in the Anglican denomination, where for me it could be uh, praying a novena. It could be praying a liturgy of the hours. It could be praying very very like set prayers that can seem repetitive. Mm -hmm. And the beauty that I find is exactly that same thing, where by focusing on that, it allows me to actually not focus on it and to see beyond it to God and to create that connection. But then at the same time, sometimes I wonder, I I lack the prayer where I do a lot of like speaking of my own desires. And there is mm-hmm. a balance of having some of those structured prayers, which can really take your mind off the prayer and focus it on God because they're acting as a conduit. So if I'm praying the rosary, it's trying to make me focus and meditate on the mysteries of Christ's life. But then sometimes you need that prayer of, you oh know, God, I really could use this. I'm struggling with this or, yeah. And I don't do that part as well, to be
1: honest. (laughs) Well, uh, Lewis, in his various writings, I think addresses at least four or five different kinds of prayer. And one is that. One is set prayers. And I think those are healthy and helpful. I think a lot of evangelicals are afraid of maybe those prayers becoming rote You know, praying the Our Father, um, praying the Jesus prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yes. Praying with prayer beads, which is part of some traditions and not part of others. And I think that we're right to look at the suspicion of having it just be wrote. But remember what Lewis says. I think it might be in screw tape. He says the body needs to pray, too. Right, mm-hmm. And so sometimes if I'm just praying those prayers rotely, I might be praying the Jesus prayer on my beads and not really thinking about that prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But at least I'm getting my mouth used to saying the prayers and my hands used to you know, saying the prayers. And what often happens to me is later on in the day, I go, oh, Lord. And the rest of the prayer tumbles out.
0: Oh yes. lord
1: Jesus Christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner and so i think that set prayers have their dangers but their benefits i think extemporaneous prayers can ha- certainly like you were saying can be an attitude of the heart but they can also we can fall into the trap of performance right mm-hmm. when you pray in a small group man was your prayer theological and and literary and all the rest and the focus of the prayer needs to be on him, and it's so easy not to do. He also, in Letters to Malcolm, talks about the prayer of silence, right? The prayer without words. But he says, don't make the error of the Stoics, where we um, where we think that we can always do what we can only sometimes do. Ooh. Yeah. I like that right and so sometimes i'm not at my top form when it comes to prayer and that's why there's so many different um different ways to go about that you know icons or contemplative prayer you know to pray with music to pray with images right um that's another way that we can pray uh, the, for me the bottom line on all of that is what's the fruit am i growing close to jesus am i softening mm-hmm. in my relationship towards others and loving them more Right? Am I thinking more about God and less about myself? And to me, that's the rule of thumb when it comes to prayer: is prayer taking me out of myself, um, or is this type of prayer taking me out of myself, or making me more self-reflective? And um, as always with love, it's humility, it's turning out of myself and turning towards charity, caritas, love, and uh, and that's the that's the goal of prayer. That's also, I think, the goal of church too. Don't you think? I love it.
0: I do. I agree. Well, speaking of church, how about we dive into the letter?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so we start the letter out with shock from Screwshape, Shape, as mentioned, when he realizes that the patient has continued to be devoted to a single church. Fidelity to a single church, in his mind, is a very bad thing. Yeah. So here's what he says. Uh-huh. Why have I no report on the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it is due to indifference— it is a very bad thing. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he
1: becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. God, that's so good. Uh huh. Now, remember what we talked about a few letters ago where it's like, hey, I want him in church because we can do a lot of damage there. Yep, you know? And now that the guy is starting to kind of be aware of that, and remember that the enemy is going to try a tactic as long as it works. And the moment we are wise to it, he's going to drop that and try a different tactic. And that's where he, where he is now. Um, so he's like, okay, let him be in church, but now try to get him to be a, po- a, a taster or connoisseur of churches. And what's interesting is what is
0: dangerous about that? That was the next question to me. And Lewis talks about first a loss of unity. So church has the power in a, in a good sense, if you're not a connoisseur, to bring together people of all kinds of classes in psychology. Mm-hmm. And so we're surrounded by those with different backgrounds, experiences, views than ourselves, which in today's world, this can be somewhat of a rarity. And I got a sense, if you're in a church connoisseur, you have the chance to find a church that fits you perfectly, and it kind of becomes a club. And so there's no longer that diversity because you're, you're seeking out almost in the same way in a, in a culture where social media, you curate the news you read, and you only curate the news that, that supports all of your views and your beliefs, and you won't ever listen to another one. Same thing can happen with churches. And so it can very much become a club.
1: Well, you know, we were talking about this before the start of the episode, and I'm so looking forward to hearing what you do with Chris. When you're in the medieval church right? You're going to the church that is within walking distance from your home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in general, in the village, wherever you are, in Germany or wherever else, that's your village church. That's the church that's at the center of town. And you don't have a choice of churches. You just show up. And then the choice is what you make of the church that you that you walk into and find. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. I think, what Lewis means when he says that there's a unity of place, and not a unity of likings, right? It's not about the church that is the style that I like. It's about this is just the place, this is the parish church, this is where, you know, where I go, because that's the only church um, that, uh, that I can get to. And I think that like you and I were talking about a little bit earlier, I think churches maybe misstep when they try to form smaller groups around um, demographics rather than around affinities. So like we were saying before, if you get a group, a small group in the church, all of whom love, I don't know, you know, NASCAR or, or pipe smoking or whatever else it is, you know, hunting, fishing, whatever your interest is, um, Bicycle riding. If you do a small group based on these people who really love bicycle riding, the differences between a 70-year-old and a 20-year-old member of that group are more or less incidental because they both agree about the passion they share for bicycle riding, right? If you group people according to their age, 30 to 30, 30 to 40, they can have really different interests and different tastes, and so uh, that I think those those divisions are kind of harder to harder to split up. And so it's a unity of place and not a unity of likings. But I think within that you can find the unity of likings, which I think Lewis is meaning by that philia, friendship. It, but Screwtape wants to mess with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he wants us to make it, as he says, uh, a kind of club, and finally, if all goes well, into a coterie or faction. I remember back in the day when I was a Baptist, I was very proud of being a Baptist, and I was telling my friend, well, John was a Baptist, and she said, yeah, okay, but I'm a Nazarene. (laughs) Witty response. I'm impressed. And that us versus them mentality can be so fatal to fellowship, right? Catholic, Protestant, different kinds of Catholic, different kinds of Protestant, high, low, broad, whatever. We used to say in the
0: beginning uh, in mere Christianity, uh, I think it was can't. Well, I'm not going to remember his name, but he's the person that does mass with the Pope. And he once wrote a piece that said, what unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. And David has quoted that at multiple times. It's just important to always remember. Yeah. You
1: know, Lewis talks about in mere Christianity in the preface, he says, I've met little of the fabled theological hatred from convinced members of other communions than my own right? My opposition has mostly come from people on the fringes of my own fellowship or of no fellowship at all. And then he says, and I love this, and this echoes because it's right around the same time. It is at her center where her truest children dwell that something or a someone Mm -hmm. seems to speak with the same voice, right? And if we were in a prison camp being beaten for our faith, I wouldn't care what kind of Catholic you were. You wouldn't care what kind of Protestant I am. We would be united by the faith of Jesus. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what Lewis means uh, when he says he's trying to make the man a critic where the Lord wants to make us a pupil, right? We wanna, we're there to learn. And that's the second—that was a beautiful transition into
0: the second point. When you become a church connoisseur, you become the wrong kind of critic. And I like how he distinguishes wrong kind of critic because mm-hmm. you can be a, there's a good critic, a critic of truth, meaning that you you do need to discern. And Lewis used to mention that of if you're in the hallway of mere Christianity, you want to pick your church based on what you believe is the closest to truth, mm-hmm. not best music. Your values line up perfectly with it, um, best sermons. It's like, what's teaching truth? Because our ultimate goal is to seek truth and to allow the truth to transform us. So you have the wrong kind of critic, and then you have the right kind of critic. And, I appreciate how he said that.
1: I think for me, um, and part of why my faith is kind of a Frankenstein patchwork faith—I mean, I'm an Episcopalian training for Episcopal ministry— but, um, but I'm also an episcopal baptic I've been a lot of other d- different denominations. And I draw from the Catholic Church with the Hail Mary. And I draw from the Theotokos theology of both the Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox. And I have a whole bunch of icons. But I'm going to draw from whatever tradition to me doesn't seem to violate the spirit of the Lord or the, or, or the sense of the Scripture, if it'll help me to get more God and help to get more God into me. And for me, that's the wisest approach, is what will help me get over myself and get more into the truth of Jesus Christ and to become more like him. And that's what church is designed to do. And that's going to make Screwtape crazy. So he's going to do anything he can to, uh, to undo that, isn't he? Well, this quote
0: might describe you then, because when you're in that, that position, that disposition of openness and receiving, this is what Screwtape writes happens but lays himself but lays itself open in uncommenting humble receptivity to any nourishment that is going on mm. this attitude especially during sermons creates the condition in which platitudes can become really audible to a human soul there's hardly any sermon or any book which may not be dangerous to us if it is received in this temper wow that, i know like <laughs> it's any sermon or any book essentially what he's saying there is Exactly what you said. What you you find truth, even if the book or sermon doesn't isn't fully true or full of complete truth. It's you have an openness and receptive to re, to receiving the truth that's within it. That's <laughs> I wish, dangerous. yeah, I
1: I, I I so wish Lewis had written a chapter for seminarians because I just finished my homiletics class, which is the art and craft of preaching, um, and I got an A. Thank you very much. Um, well done. It's okay. He gave everybody A's. So, um, <laughs> But thinking about preach craft, preaching craft, um, uh, sermon craft, uh, makes me a little bit of a connoisseur. And am I criticizing the language choice of the tone of voice of the preacher instead of listening not only to the message, but through the message? And as somebody who now preaches sermons and who will preach sermons for the rest of my life, what I really want you to do is listen through the sermon for the voice of God, however dim or inaudible, to be speaking to you, even through platitudes. Um, And uh, a rector of mine uh, in Houston, uh, Father Josh Condon, uh, before I preached my first sermon, says, there's this holy space between the lips of the preacher and the ears of the hearer. And that space is loaded and occupied and monitored by the Holy Spirit. And Mm -hmm. so that's part of what I need to do is go expecting to hear from the Holy Spirit what he would have me hear. Sometimes that's absolutely in spite of the preacher. And I've had many people shake my hand and say, oh, man, I really love your point about this or that, which was the opposite of what I talked about. (laughs) Um, But fortunately, God grabbed a hold of it, didn't even care to use me or my words, but used my words as a medium to speak his truth, right? And that's, I think, the goal of church going, and that's why the enemy is so concerned with it.
0: Well, let's hope God can do that in this next example, because Lewis switches to an, or screw tape switches to analyzing the prospective churches around yep. as they're trying to do this church shopping. And in the first church, it talks about the pastor has significantly watered down Christianity with his sermons to the point where actually it says the people in the audience are in shock and disbelief of his own unbelief, more mm-hmm. or less. And hopefully in that case what you just said brings true, that the Holy Spirit still would take the words and guides it even in those circumstances. But here's what it says. At the first of these, the vicar is a man who has been so long engaged in watering down the faith to make it easier for supposedly incredulous and hard-headed congregation that it is now he who shocks his parishioners with his unbelief, not vice versa. And I thought there was a little hidden message at the end of that when it hmm. said vice versa. Because when he says, in not vice versa, Lewis is kind of saying church should somewhat be shocking to us in a sense that it should be piercing our hearts and challenging us to be uncomfortable.
1: Well, or that the pastor should be shocked at the unbelief of the people, right? But shocked yes. in a healthy way. Right? Yes. Yeah.
0: I like that. And then he goes on to say, and we are thus safe from the danger that any truth not already familiar to him and to his flock should ever reach them through Scripture. But perhaps your patient is not quite silly enough for this church, or not yet. <laughs> and And I— have witnessed this and it does break my heart water down Christianity. I understand. And I, I honor the motivation that churches sometimes want to make the message palatable so that way it can reach a broader audience and bring more people into the doors. And there is a beauty to that. If you get them onto the step of the ladder where there there's an openness to Christianity, that's a wonderful thing. The same time, it doesn't, it has a hard time pulling them deeper and mm. there is that danger with it. And, I, and even actually in prepping for the Chris Armstrong interview, it was he, he references Willow Creek in Chicago. And he talks about Bill Heibel even admitted that they almost watered it down too much where they brought significant numbers into Willow Creek. But mm. had a very hard time being able to take them deeper. There was a shallowness to what people got brought into. And that's from like the head pastor himself. Yeah,
1: and Bill Heibel's, You know, I, I know that there have been some issues, but I mean, he really was, you know, kind of spearheaded the large church movement. I, I keep thinking about Screw Tape, and boy, I'm so glad to be involved this year because there's so much good stuff that continues to come back to me um, through reading these Screw Tape letters. Um, and one of those principles, and I think that you know, we're we're recording this the the uh, the week after. Um, the Tuesday following the uh, the January sixth, um, you know, incident in the Capitol, um, mm-hmm. Screw tape is more than willing to trade a lesser victory for a greater sin. Right? Let him have chastity, and then, but let let us make him proud proud about his chastity or whatever else. Um, so many of the things that are tearing our country apart are really good things at their core, um, but. What we're doing is majoring on those and losing this kind of um, the the gentleness that needs to be shown to all, the love of Christ that all need to bear to one another. I mean, if, if liberal and conservative, n- not even political parties, but Christian parties would get together and if... They would explore their differences with this overwhelming sense of Christ's love and belovedness for each other. You know, I think that we would be a lot further along, and that's that's some of what what uh, Screw is talking about here. And in this next one, a little bit too, because he he talks about in the next
0: person in the next pastor example, of the church there's there's a hatred and a bitterness within the pastor, mm-hmm. and it leads to opinions all over the map. And mm-hmm. he calls him Father Spike. He says. Why Father Spike is one day almost a communist, and the next not too far from some kind of theocratic fascism. One day a scholastic, and the next prepared to deny human reason altogether. One day immersed in politics, and the day after declaring that all states of this world are equally under judgment. Because of that bitterness and hatred, he he wants to be contrarian constantly. Mm -hmm. And I find that in today's climate as well, where people just from a lack of joy, a lack of feeling loved, a lack of worthiness, purpose, that would all come from an intimate relationship with Christ. There's a divisiveness that comes at the core of that desire to be disagreeable, to be contrarian, to not find that common ground. And we see that right here in this church
1: example. Well, and even in Lewis's day, and how much more in ours... The job of the preacher, and I mean, I wish there were a class on how to handle the comments as you stand outside the church door and people either walk by and ignore you or come up and shake your hand, not so much in COVID time, Um, but 90% of what I hear is great sermon, wonderful sermon, great sermon, wonderful sermon. A couple Mm -hmm. of people say, you know, oh man, I really am going to take this with me. And a couple of, a lot of people just, you know, a fair number of people just kind of walk by and don't make eye contact because they're embarrassed. They didn't like what you said. They weren't paying attention. They were making their grocery list or whatever. Um... But this kind of thing that the enemy is working really hard to make ineffective any possible truth that may be coming, coming through. And so sometimes the temptation as a preacher is to be controversialist, to, to find a way to wake them up, to find a way to say something that's going to reach out and grab them. Um, but then, of course, it's really hard. You know, am I just a vessel for a message? Or do I want them to look at me? It's why being a singer is different than being a worship leader. And and if ever tape wants to screw with anything, I think that's 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 some of what it is. Uh-huh.
0: It's interesting too, because he goes on and he says that he's dishonest. Mm-hmm. And so hides behind the statement. The teaching of the churches, when really he means, I'm I'm almost sure I read. Recential and maritain. I didn't know <laughs> exactly what that was.
1: Yeah. Um, I would need to go to louisiana.nl uh, and see my friend Aaron Smilde's comments on that. He does wonderful online annotations to these things. But not I know for sure, but I may have, uh, I may have glanced at, or it's a, a half-remembered half um, reading from something that you did late at night in seminary. Um, but I love how Screwtape says his fatal defect is that he really believes... Right. And so, and that's, I think, why to some degree you all are so right about your admiration for, um, for the great divorce. Um, what's going on there. Did you just say that? I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can die. I can die now. Thank you, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Take me now, Lord. <laughs> I said, in some degree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just and he says, you know, even there, there's even where there's a spark, it may be blown into a full fire, right? There's a coal of it there. And so, what's going on as we go to church is that there really is this kind of active, dynamic battleground going on. And if I'm just going to church out of rote and whatever, and and not paying attention, that's where Screw Tape wins. And if I'm going there to kind of criticize, that's where Screw Tape's trying to win. Sometimes you might have a bad preacher, um, you might ha- have a bad homilist, but they may be the most tender person at your hospital bedside. Right. And so maybe what the Lord wants you to do is listen to the sermon and ignore the fact that it might not be the greatest performance and see what you can get out of it. Sometimes I have sat under preaching where, you know, I might pull out my phone or my my iPad, and I might look up the, you know, the interlinear Greek of the text that he's talking about and at least engage with the scripture, and I might get something out of it there. So I hope nobody who ever listens to my sermons ever does that. <laughs> you don't <laughs> actually see any phones out. I don't care. As long as you're getting closer to Jesus... <laughs> In church, yes. rather than farther from Jesus in church, and two, those two are really powerful, dynamic present um, possibilities as we go to church.
0: Well, the final part he says is one thing that both of these churches have in common, and it's dangerous: is they are party churches, mm-hmm. and this is incredibly beneficial to Screw Tape in Wormwood. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to quote this at length. Actually. Yeah, go for it. It's a little bit longer, but it's it's just it's so on the on the mark. I think I warned you before that if your patient can't be kept out of the church, he ought to, at least, to be violently attached to some party within it. I don't mean on really doctrinal issues. About those, the more lukewarm he is, the better. And it isn't the doctrines on which we chiefly depend for producing malice. The real fun is working up hatred between those who say Mass and those who say Holy Communion, when neither party could possibly state the difference between, say, Hooker's doctrine in Thomas Aquinas' in any form which would hold water for five minutes. <laughs> and all the purely indifferent things, candles and clothes and whatnot, are an admirable ground for our activities. I mean, this is, wasn't there at one point, I remember learning this in high school, and I haven't sense, but part of this great schism, I mean, it was things like, do you do the sign of the cross one way or the other way? Do you use two fingers? Do you use three fingers? And were actual issues that people debated over.
1: I swear to God, I learned about this in my History of the Episcopal Church class this year. They had the surplus wars. And there was this huge debate, the, a surplus. So if you go to a liturgical church and you see uh, a, a minister, even an altar altar boy, altar girl, whatever, um, you see them usually in a black cassock, which is a long black robe. And then there's that kind of white flowy garment over it. So mm-hmm. our choir, choir wears cassock and surplus. Um, and so there's this huge debate in America and elsewhere about if you're wearing a surplus, you're trying to be too Roman. They're having surplus wars over oh whether or goodness. not you are wearing a surplus. And it's like, oh my gosh, Screwtape mm-hmm. had a field day in order to kind of get us to focus on anything But the incredible truth of the fact that God sees us and he loves us and he forgives us and then he demands that we see others and we love others and we forgive others and that we ask them, beg them for our forgiveness. And that's part of what's happening in our country right now. People have lost their minds and lost the idea that we should love one another. Now, I'm not going to go into the argument about whether America is a Christian nation. I am not going to engage that. But there's this kind of civility that we have had as Americans that is now lost. And people are firmly convinced on both sides. And if it's Christians who are firmly convinced on both sides, and there are, I think part of where Screwtape may be getting to us is that he's teaching us that it's okay not to love and instead to hate. Right. And that's part of what's going on in this letter. You know, it's to, it's to point out the other, it's to, it's to make this our club, it's to be our party right? My way of doing it is better. And I can't even conceive of anybody else doing it in a different way. And unfortunately, I think Screwtape is using media, social media, a thoughtlessness, the lack of reading books, a whole bunch of things. He's trying to get us to think about ourselves when we should be thinking about loving God and loving our neighbor. And he's, you know, preventing us from exactly trying to have compassion for somebody who, with whom we may disagree. And that's it. I'm glad we're reading this letter this week when we' just gone through what we went through in our country because screw tape is starting in the church, but it's going to go everywhere else when I use Christianity as an excuse for myself, man, I'm on dangerous ground, and I should smell mm. the smell of sulphur and uh, and look for the shadow of screw tape right over my shoulder.
0: Mm. well said. Mm. And as he finishes here, let's not forget Paul's teaching on Mm. food and other essentials. Mm -hmm. And so here's what Screwtape says. Namely, that the human without scruples should always give in to the human with scruples. You would think they could not fail to see the application. You would expect to find the low churchman genuflecting and crossing himself, lest the weak conscience of his high brother should be moved to irreverence. And the high one reframing from these exercises, lest he should betray his low brother into idolatry. And so it would have been, but for our ceaseless labor without that, the variety of usage within the church of England might have become a positive hotbed of charity and humility.
1: (sighs) that's uh, so great i have that underlined it before we even looked at our notes together uh let me clarify for my uh for my my sisters and brothers who um aren't more part of a more formal or liturgical church to genuflect it comes from the latin genus meaning knee To genuflect means to kneel, and we cross ourselves in liturgical churches. And what he's saying is, let me never kneel or cross myself if that's going to stumble a brother or sister who doesn't, doesn't believe in that. And on the other end, let me not be so angry at somebody who actually does these practices. You know, it's how can we carry each other? How can we consider, in humility, consider others better than ourselves? And read again that last phrase that you had, because that really jumped out at me, Matt. Without
0: that, the variety of usage within the Church of England might have become a positive hotbed of charity and humility.
1: Mm. Positive hotbed (laughs) of charity and humility. Imagine if the church was that. (laughs) Imagine if I were like that. Yeah. Imagine if I were positive instead of negative. As a professional churchman now, it's really easy for me to be a critic instead of a worshiper, right? Mm -hmm. To judge a sermon, to say, oh, I know which commentary they're using, blah, 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 blah. Instead of to come with an open soul and say, Lord, speak to me, I would hear from you, right? positive hotbed instead of a sleeping bed, right? Instead of lying dormant, of caritas and humilitas. Mm -hmm. And this gets back to what I talk about all the time. The opposite of love is pride. And the opposite of pride is love. And humility is the first move towards love, to go out of ourselves towards the other, right? To say less of me, more of you right? He must increase, I must decrease. And this, to me, is kind of the heart of Lewis, but that's no surprise to you or any of our listeners. I was
0: just listening today to, I use that, it's another, I'll do a plug, I haven't done it in a while for our listeners, but the Halo, Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, technically a, a Catholic meditation app, but Honestly, 90, at in the past when they did it, 94% of the content was universal across Christian denominations. Hail Mary, obviously, and rosary tended to be a bit more Catholic, but they've got daily gospel readings, daily electio divinas and stuff. Beautiful app. I was listening to the prayer, 15-minute meditation on the litany of humility today mm. at mm. lunchtime. And, just, and, and it encourages you to to pray that Jesus grants you the grace to desire what it was stating. And I liked how it phrased that because it was stating, Lord, let me desire the esteem of my brother more than my own esteem. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I first need to just ask for the grace to even desire that because I'm not really sure I desire my brothers and sisters around me to have more esteem than me. I'm not sure I desire that they are lifted up more than myself. Mm -hmm. And so I got to first start with just asking for the desire and then hopefully the grace to actually do it. And it was just a really beautiful litany, and mm-hmm. it, it really pierced me. It's first time I've ever have done that meditation.
1: Mere Christianity, that last chapter of Mere Christianity, and you know, if you're, uh, if our listeners need a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of instruction, just go read the very last chapter of Mere Christianity. There's so many things in there, but one of them that just echoes and rings in my ears: "Out of ourselves into Christ we must go." And the only place I can find Christ in this world, besides in the Holy Spirit dwelling, dwelling in each of us, the only place I, I find Christ, I see the image of Christ, is in my sister and my brother. And start with the people who are easy to love and do something loving towards them. You know, I'm going to go for a walk with my wife after this. I'm going to try and do something loving for her, right? Out of myself, into Christ we must go. Love God, love your neighbor. And do it because we are the deeply beloved of God, and that's the image of ourselves and the image of our neighbor that Screwtape Tape so wants us to get out of uh, out of our minds. So wants to get out of our minds. It's not a coincidence that it's right around this time that Lewis preaches the weight of glory, right, mm-hmm. and and says that I must be hungry for my neighbor's glory, right? Um, that they're this this uh, uh, amazing creature. Right, and so I should be hungry for the glory of another. That's h- easy to say, and it's hard to do. And so you can check with me next time how I how I treated my wife this evening after we got done recording. So would that be maybe your first screw tape unscrewed as a do? <laughs> I think absolutely the uh, the the kind of paired do out of your, out of ourselves and into Christ I must go. Mm-hmm. Deny yourself. And take up your cross and follow him. Welcome even the untoward events that happen. So do think less of yourself and think more of others. And maybe the practical way of doing that is be loving towards those who you love, right? Work up the spiritual muscles to love the people who hate you. Uh, and, and and learn how to do that by loving the people that you love.
0: I love that. My first do is, uh, actually my only do do seek truth and be open to receiving it. Mm -hmm. Just in the sense that don't be critical of the sermons and all these little things and the things that prevent you from actually being open when you're in a service, when you're reading a book, when you're in prayer, have that disposition that just desires to receive the message and the word that God wants you to receive and to transform you. Mm -hmm. Rather than I'm going to be super, scared. oh, this person said this one word in this homily, and it just set me off, and it it, it was a trigger word, and now I'm done, I'm closed off, I'm not going to receive anything else that's said because this word triggered me, or it was slightly too political in this way, or slightly too this in this way, and therefore I'm done.
1: Yeah. Well, and let me encourage you, um, your preacher is driving home, going through every word they said, and repenting, and regretting, and wishing they had said a little less and a little more. If they're a good preacher, they're probably doing that and they're feeling terrible about their performance. If they're not even thinking about it, you know, then they need your prayers all the more. So I would say, pray for your preachers, right? Pray for them on Friday night and on Saturday night and pray for them on Sunday morning. They're working hard and crafting, or maybe they've had a crazy week and they didn't have time to really dig in and do the exegesis, and they're coming to the, to the, to the pulpit half prepared, right? They're going to be human just like you on your worst day and your, and your best day, right? Preachers have bad days too. So pray for them, listen to them, hoping to hear the Lord, and then let them know um, afterwards, if something good came, bear a good word um, back to them if you can. But mostly, just pray for them and love them. It's a it's a hard task. A sermon, even a ten minute one, as we have in my church, is a is a is a daunting thing to prepare. I like that. The
0: other simple thing I put from this was just don't church stop shop. Yeah. Other than you know if you're if you're coming to the faith and you're trying to find a denomination, that's one thing. If you're doing it with that seeking truth and finding it. Don't chirp, maybe I should preface that, don't chirp shop based on some of the minor things.
1: Sure. And, you know, I would probably in my wide experience in Christianity and a lot of different denominations, I would suggest find a place that's pretty close for you so that you don't have an excuse to sleep in on Sunday and you can get involved in the lives of people. So find, have a parochial or a parish type mentality, find a church that's close enough that you can be active in the community um, find one that suits you. Um, but once it suits you fairly well, um, start looking for the flaws and start digging in an oar, start figuring out how to row that boat in the right direction. If it has flaws, figure out how you can help that find a place where you can also serve. Um, because what we need, I mean, the church is 90% volunteer, no matter what, what church it is. So, um, find one that suits you, find one close by, um, moderate your expectations it's not going to be perfect, especially if you're coming out of a bad church experience. You're going to have a honeymoon period, but then the warts are going to show, and that's just because it's made up of sinners, right? It's a hospital for sinners. And, and what I always uh, say, everybody, yeah, I always yeah.
0: say, uh, if if when people critique the church, it's just messed up and it's broken. I
1: say, all right, find the perfect church, then join it. And yeah. then it's no longer perfect. And when people <laughs> say, well, the church is full of hypocrites, I say, yes, and I'm one, and so are you, and we got uh-huh. room for one more. Come on in. Uh uh-huh. um, But but use it as a place where Christ chooses to dwell and chooses to have good news proclaimed. Um, however best your staff and your clergy can do it, they're going to be proclaiming good news. And even in COVID, we haven't seen churches close right? They haven't closed their doors. They've pressed on. They'll press on long after you're gone. So do what you can to show up at church, attend, support, give, um, but give not because the church is greedy for it, but give because it's a spiritual act that I need to give and support. I'm now, um, <laughs> pledging to three different churches, um, cause I have my home church and my, my field ed church and my other field ed church. Mm-hmm. Um, and find a place where you can shore up uh, the places where it's weak and that you can in, enjoy and help to flourish the, the places where it's good, you know. And so, yeah, go to church. and uh, I love and, it. And do the best that you can to see the face of Christ there. And if you can't see the the face of Christ, help to polish those windows until they become clear enough that he can come shining through. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, any other final thoughts? No, but I can't wait to uh, to keep reading. Um Yeah. Uh, become a positive hotbed of charity and humility. May God make that true of our lives.
0: That's the last word we're going to end on. So friends, thank you so much for joining us. Please, social media. Uh, if you guys leave reviews through any of the podcast apps you do, that's so helpful to us. And we really love when you put comments with them. The stars alone are helpful. They do help with the algorithm. But the comments, uh, we've had a few recent ones in the last couple of weeks. And again, it's I, I re- reread every single one of them. And we take into consideration anything said. If you really love the ministry we're doing and you feel called to support on Patreon, we have that and we've got different tiers and that's been such a blessing. We had a a large influx in December of new supporters and they all did the second tier or above. So they're all in the Slack community and our Slack community grew in size probably 10, 15%, which was awesome in a single month. And so we're so glad to have you guys. Check out Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. David is very active on all of those. And it's Pints with Jack, the handle. We've got the merchandise on the website, and we want to just finish by thanking our top tier supporters. We have a new one at the highest level. James, thank you for joining that group. And then Jeff, Chris, John, Kate Rowdy, thank you for continuing to be a part of that group.
1: Oh, man, it's a blessing to be part of this community.
0: I love it. And then uh, join us next time when we'll be going further up and further further in. Cheers.
1: Cheers.